Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I'm here with special guest, Dr. Phil Barnard. Hi, Andrew. Phil is the principal of St. John's School and Early Learning Center. And so if you are in the market for a school, you might want to check our website out. It's St. John, it's actually, let me get this right, sjdenverschool.org. That is it, sjdenverschool.org. And we are going after some of the most common questions that are asked about the Christian faith. Today is another good one, and it is, do I need to change my life in order to join a religion? Very common question. And Phil, let's just get the ball rolling with this. What kind of change is good in life? Yeah, sure. Well, I think when we think of change, uh, it can often be scary and or exciting. So we want to get that. But change in general um, when it's done to help you grow and improve and stretch yourself, it could be good. It should be good. You know, it really tests us to push and see what we're capable of. Um, it grows us into a more mature person. It helps us love others more, helps us serve others more. So I think any change that helps us become a better version of ourselves is great change. Okay. So what you're saying is that in life, there's good change, there's bad change. Yes. Um, but then in, our presuppositions on this podcast are Jesus we believe that he is awesome, that he's savior, that he loves everybody, that he invites everybody to himself. Mm -hmm. And so what are the good changes that Jesus can bring in a person's life? Well, I think in general, um, Jesus helps us get our eyes off ourselves and onto him and to other people. So we um, become less selfish. We become more giving, more generous, more kind, more compassionate, more helpful, um, more patient. We have more joy, all the fruits of the spirit that he promises to give us as we follow him. That's huge. So, and, and, and this is Jesus's proper work. So this is when Christianity is at its best with yeah. Jesus living inside the person because he is saving us by his grace and doing it graciously. He empowers the person to voluntarily respond back with a life that, like you said, is focused on God and other people. And the great commandment that he gave is love others, mm -hmm. is I have loved you. And mm -hmm. by this, you're going to show yourself to be my disciple. He also mentioned the, what are called the fruits mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. And that's a phrase that simply means that once the Spirit of God dwells in you, that there's certain qualities that come out of that, such as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And I, I may have missed one there, Phil. Um, but yeah, great, great answer. And I actually, uh, it just as a segue or a bridge to our listeners, uh, I would answer this question too. Why is good change positive? And Amber Rose Monaco, who wrote an article in the Huffington Post in 2017, uh, she says that there's five reasons change is good for you. And she says, you're pushed out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. See, our brain is wired to do the same thing over and over, regardless if that, if that activity is good or bad for you. Um, and so when we're pushed out of our comfort zone towards good change, this can be a positive. You get to experience more out of life. Um, you can experience greater blessings that you weren't having before. And number three, you get to find out who you really are. And I can mm -hmm. testify to that as far as my identity before Christ, I think, was very lost, um, unsure of myself, unsure of my purpose, unsure of what I should give my time to, uh, who I should experience life with. 
But in Christ, I have found my true self, my true personality, my true God-given character. Number four, change makes you more flexible and adaptable. Love that. Um, everybody loves to work with a flexible or adaptable person. Yes, please. Um, and then number five, she says you have more fun. And her elaboration on that is because you're not as strict and rigid, you're willing to say yes to more things. And people love it when you say yes to more things. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that was an that was a insightful article that Mrs. Monaco contributed there. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Barnard, do all religions require change? Yeah, I think uh, they do because they're part of life. Life requires change. If you're alive and breathing, you are changing and you have to decide whether your changes are going to be for the better or for worse. So every religion will require change of some form because that's just part of being alive. Right. So it's not just Christianity no. where Jesus is saying, follow me. But in all religions, they, they obviously believe that this is going to be change that's good for you. Mm -hmm. um, however, I would ask this question. What is the difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and other religions? So what is it that sets Christianity apart, like from just a simple comparative religion perspective? Yeah, I think that the main thing that Christianity has is that um, salvation and sanctification is just a, it's a free gift from God. It's a free gift offered. It's an invite to come home to Him. Um, and it, you don't have to strive for it yourself. It's not something where I have to prove myself in order to receive an invite. Mm -hmm. It's I receive the invite and I, because of my response, because of my joy and my gratitude, I want to, um, in a way, act worthy of that invite. Beautiful. But it's a, it's a gift first. It's beautiful. Tim Keller has a great distinction. He says, uh, religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. But then he says, the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Exactly. And that is exactly what you're saying. It's so big difference. We're accepted on account of what Jesus has done for us. And then our voluntary response is mm -hmm. a life of obedience to mm -hmm. his will. Now, Phil... Why did Jesus have to come and die for us? And why is it that we need a savior? Because I think the presupposition of Christianity uh, in particular is that we do need a savior. Now, with that said, all religions would say we have a, a plight, a condition, and you're going to earn your way out of it. Uh, but in Christianity, Jesus comes to be our savior. But, but why do we need one? Yeah, well, according to the Bible, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So um, just by our nature, there is a chasm between God and His holiness and His righteousness and us and our sinfulness and our fallen state. Um, even though we have many wonderful things about us, we are still sinful and fallen and we can't make that bridge up. Mm -hmm. God is such a holy God. He's such a a perfect God, um, that the distance between us and Him is too great. We could, we could try reaching up to Him, it's, it's not going to work. It's Him reaching down to us. So Christianity is, is God looking at us in our state of fallenness and brokenness and being prepared to reach down and meet us where we are. What would you say to the person that's like, you know, I'm a good person, my wife is a good person, um, we have a great family, we have a great life, and I know you've, you've gotten the ball rolling, mm -hmm. Uh, with what the Bible teaches, but is there any more you can say to that person that's like, I just, I don't, I can understand why like drug addicts need a savior, 
but I'm not, I don't relate to those people. Yeah. And I hear that because in, in this day and age, often most, most of us are actually pretty good people. You know, most of us haven't murdered someone lately and we're, we haven't kicked the cat this morning and we're nice to grandma and that kind of thing. But I think when we compare ourselves to God's holiness and his standard, we do have to recognize that we fall a long way short of that. Absolutely. And I think that we have to remember that it's not so much about good and bad, but it's about the relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So you may be a good person from a civil perspective, according to the eyes of civil society, mm -hmm. but this is about our vertical relationship with God. And the issue is that we have a lot of God's substitutes or other things or people we pour our lives out to and put in His place. So we were made for a relationship with Him we were made to adore him and worship him, but yet we find ourselves exalting so many good things that we make God yeah. things and they become bad things. This is what uh, the Bible calls an idol. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can identify with this whole thought about an idol in our American culture. Um, but it truly is simply something we exalt in our heart to make supreme. Mm -hmm. So that could be our job, that could be our children, that could be our spouse, that could be money, that could be a hobby, that could be something that we just start to make uh, an obsession. Yeah. But nope. it's, it's that sin that I think that, that God says separates us from Him in the mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, and I, I just think it's, it's putting that into the place of where God rightfully should be. And God being a loving God won't actually allow us to put anything in that place. Like, we'll yeah. try, but he's, he's not going to say, well, money is better than him, because money's not better than him. He's not going to say your wife or husband is better than him, because your wife and husband aren't better than him. So he's going to hold on to that firm place at number one and help us realign our values and priorities to ensure that, that he's still at number one. And we can enjoy number two, three, four, five, and six. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But just leave them in their rightful place with him at number one. Very well said. So Jesus is a better savior than all of our idols. Sometimes we look to those things <laughs> Very much so. to be saviors, Yeah. you know, to make our lives uh, better. And, you know, some of those things do by the grace of God. You know, you have two uh, very cute, intelligent children. People. They have made your life better, uh, but yet you're not going to worship them or make them supreme or else that would be a disservice to them too. Yeah. Um, but Phil, what did Jesus exactly do to save us from our sins? And I think that's a good question for somebody who's asking this question today and they're wondering, you know, what makes Christianity different? Yeah, well, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses, one of redemption, which is where essentially you have someone as a slave to something or to somebody else. And the act of redemption is another person coming in and buying that person's freedom. Mm. So they pay the price in order for the person to be free. And it's a price that that person or the slave couldn't pay themselves. And the Bible talks about Jesus paying that price of freedom for us, that redemption. And that's his act. It's not ours. We couldn't pay it ourselves. Um, and he sets us free from our sin and from death. How did he pay it? Through his death on the cross. Okay, so on, on the cross, he dies a criminal's death. He's hanging there as a criminal. Um, why, why did he get executed in that such severe fashion in the first place? 
Well, that was just the one of the worst um, execution styles that the Romans could think of. That's just such an awful way. I mean, yeah. we, we do the death penalty a certain way in our culture. Reasonably humane. Reasonably. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but then their way of doing things was to nail somebody to a cross and publicly shame them until they suffocate and die. Yeah. And Jesus not only was crucified, prior to that he was scourged, mm -hmm. which is being whipped with a, a rope mm -hmm. with like some pointed um, metal. Um, almost like nails. Uh, almost like nails, and it's kind of just ripping at your flesh with mm -hmm. each whip. Mm -hmm. So uh, an awful depiction of this, which is actually a very real historical de depiction is in the Passion of the Christ. And so what you're, what you're sharing with us today is that Jesus went through that to pay the price that would purchase our freedom. Mm -hmm. So all of our, so, so what you're saying is like all of our sin was transferred to him in that moment. Yes. That's, was, that's profound. It was swapped over. It was swapped over. Yeah. Tell us more about that swap. Well, the Bible speaks about our sin being placed on him and through faith in him, his righteousness being placed on us. Wow. So it's a, I think what the theologians call this, the wonderful exchange. Yes. We give Jesus our sin. He, he gifts gives. us his righteousness. Yeah. It's a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and one of the other metaphors, which I, I love as a parent is one of adoption mm -hmm. that um, through this exchange, um, he then adopts us in, well, God adopts us into his family as one of his children, and he calls us his children, which is a beautiful idea. And I, I love that thought as well, because, you know, adoption is all from the parents. The parents do that. It's not because of the children. Um, the, ch the child can't force a parent to adopt them. A parent chooses to bring a lost child into their family and to give them everything that their family has, uh, which is what God says he does for us. Through faith in Christ, He calls us in and He gives us everything that we would have as part of His family. That's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thought. That's beautiful. So, God's taking the initiative to send His Son yes. to save us from our sin. And then God's taking the initiative to adopt us into His family. Mm -hmm. And then we are saved because we're, we're a part of His family mm -hmm. now. We're no longer in our sin. We're no longer uh, what the Bible says uh, following our own way or the ways of the world or darkness or uh, the Bible does talk about Satan and evil mm -hmm. but now we're adopted into God's family and we inherit all the blessings yeah um, so Phil who is then the change agent in Christianity then based on what you're saying I mean <laughs> I guess from the beginning it sounds like God is gets the credit for getting us in yes um, but then after that who does the change in our lives? Well, as I said, it's first and foremost God with his invitation and his adoption and his redemption of us. And then it's the work of his Holy Spirit who then transforms us and washes us anew and renews us. Um, and I want to say that first and foremost, but then it also becomes a little bit of a partnership. It's, it's us allowing him to do that work in mm -hmm. us and not resisting. And uh, even though we do at times, you know, none of us are perfect, but yeah. um, it's His Holy Spirit working in us and us partnering with Him and saying, yes, I yield to you. I want you to change me. I'll do what I need to do. And then it's, a, it's more like a team effort. This is profound because I think growing up, I'd go to like different uh, Christian camps. And I think the message was 
make a decision uh, to follow Christ and stop drinking and smoking and doing bad things. So this was the high school gospel. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of thought that to follow Jesus, you're making a decision to do a lifestyle change. But I guess what you're saying is that's not quite right. The truth of the gospel is he takes the initiative. Mm -hmm. We're saying that we can't do it. Mm -hmm. We're confessing our sins to him, saying we can't do it. He comes in and he's our savior. And then also even your emphasis on cooperation. I'm still cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit to bring newness to my life. Um, so it's, it's a lot, his power yeah. in us and through us. Yeah. Yeah, if I can kind of use it, I, I'm in education, so I like thinking about classrooms and kids all the time, but it use the analogy of, um, say, a third grader, and the third grader makes the choice to step there. A teacher will invite them into the classroom at the beginning of the year and say, I want you to be part of my classroom. That third grader, second grader, needs to actually step into the classroom. You know, a teacher's not going to force you in there, yeah. but they're going to say, hey, come on in. We've got great things for you. The child steps in, and then it's a partnership between the teacher, who's the expert coach, and a child who's willing to learn and willing to listen and willing to do things that the teacher asks them to do. And together they see that child get through the grade and learn the things they need to learn, experience the thing they need to experience so that they can grow and mature into the next grade. And I think that's very similar to... Um, Christianity and God invites us into his family um, and says if you trust me as a good teacher and as a good coach and as a good guide I'm going to work with you and I'm going to work in you and we say yeah I trust you I, I believe you're a good you're a good being you're a good being I will I'll do what you tell me to do because I know at the end of this I'm going to be a better person that's awesome so it's like the father welcomes us with arms wide open yes as we are yes but then of course he doesn't just leave us as we are. Kind of reminds me of the, the famous story of a man named Zacchaeus, who was, uh, he was a tax collector working for the Roman government in the first century, and then over collecting to his Jewish citizens, and he was Jewish. So to, in the eyes of the public, this is a traitor, this is a fraud, this mm -hmm. is a liar. Um, but yet, Jesus goes by and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house tonight and have dinner. And so Zacchaeus is like the famous preacher, the famous healer that everybody's following. Like Jesus is a celebrity at this time. And he's like, he wants me. He's going to come to my house. And in that first century culture, just to dine with somebody meant like you That's were communion. like you're having communion with yeah. them. You're condoning their life. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. how people saw it. So he was just blown away that the famous Jesus would want to have a meal with him. Yeah. He is so taken aback by Jesus's love that he, Jesus just accepts him how he is. Um, and, but yet at the same time, Jesus, we don't have a running monologue or dialogue of what this dinner conversation looked like, but Jesus is clearly preaching the gospel to mm -hmm. him. And so Zacchaeus has met where he's at but Jesus doesn't leave him where he's at, like you said. And then after the dinner, Zacchaeus goes, Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. And he yeah. says, I repent. I'm going to restore money to anyone that I've fraud, defrauded. Um, and he says, I'm also compelled as a very wealthy man to help people who are less fortunate than me. Yeah. So blown away. 
So it kind of piggybacks on your point that Jesus just meets us where we're at, as mm -hmm. we are. But man, there's great transformation that happens. Yeah, he loves us too much to let us stay like this. Like we yeah. love our kids at the beginning of the school. We love them too much to let them stay with their same amount of knowledge of math at the beginning of the school. It's like, no, we want you to grow. We want you to learn. We want you to be everything you're meant to be as a mathematician or a scientist or a, or a writer. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to help you walk through it. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Phil. As one who has one who graduated <laughs> from our school and then two that are currently in it and another one on the way next school year. Yes. I appreciate your help. <laughs> it's all right. We care about them. We need all the help we can get as parents. Um, just to close this thing out, mm -hmm. Jesus' famous invitation is repent and believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. What does repent mean? I think we've already talked about what it means to accept the good news that Jesus died for you. But what is, what is this invitation that Jesus is giving to repent? Yeah, I mean, the word repent just means to change your mind and to change your direction. And we, ha we have our mindset on one thing, thinking this is going to save me or I don't need saving. Um, and or that God is not the kind of being that I would want to have anything to do with. Sometimes we think that. And the repent is that change of mind. Yeah. And it's like, yes, I do need saving. Um, the only, only thing that can bring me salvation is God himself. Um, and also trusting him that he's a beautiful, wonderful, compassionate, kind, caring, intelligent father who does have our best interests in mind. And, and then when it says follow the gospel, follow that. Trust that he is a, a good father who's going to bring good things and that his way of doing life is going to be better than our way of doing life. Beautiful. Thank you, Phil. I think this was, this was really uh, eye-opening, just the love of God and mm -hmm. how it's, I think the question assumes that this is going to be very restrictive or that we have to do all of the work to change. But it's so refreshing to, to know that we have a God who loves us and he's doing the work in us and through us. Mm -hmm. So if you were blessed by the podcast today, you're welcome to share it with anyone you think would be blessed as well. We invite you to also follow along as we do uh, truly appreciate your support. If you do have any questions that you would like us to consider on this podcast, you could submit them to hello at sjdenver.org and we'll see you next time. Take care.